Hello and welcome to the True Blue LA podcast. I'm Jacob Birch. Eric Steven is with me. True Blue LA, Mr. True Blue LA. This blog is going to be going on 300 years from now and you'll still be Mr. You'll be the Ernie Banks of True Blue LA. It's going to be on my uh, my tombstone. Uh, or my, I guess, no, tombstone's too much. Like that. And, you, <laughs> and plus, like, oh, you want no pepperoni on your tombstone. That's right. I, I, you know what? Let's throw some sausage on there as well. Okay. But if I if I have to choose one meat, it's pepperoni. Sorry, yeah. we're we're, we're I, we've already seen the the questions from Craig, and it's not pizza related, so we're safe in talking about yeah, that right now. Yeah. So yeah, we're, we're good. He did not ask about frozen pizza because we could talk for a, a bit on that. Although what he did ask, we will probably talk for a while. Oh, yeah. um, this is a recurring theme over a lot of our episodes is how <laughs> similarish they are to previous episodes. And now we have the Ugh, baseball owners episode. Nice little yeah. re- retread. Yeah, uh, well, yeah. yeah we're going to talk about that. Um, we have questions from Craig. We have a Dodgers rewind where we're prepared this week. So we're going to go over that with some miscellaneous bits of news. All, all of that after this. Those clowns at baseball are at it again. What a bunch <laughs> of clowns. How is he keeping up with the news? <laughs> yeah, no, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, the earlier this week, I guess technically the letter was sent Friday by the Cactus League. First of all, the Cactus League, like they, <laughs> like they're like it's a thing, right? Like, <laughs> is it Mister Cactus sending this letter? Yeah, it's actually John League and Billy Cactus. They <laughs> formed. Uh, uh, side note: uh, I worked at Smart and Final uh, after high school and into college, and um, I didn't like. We learned it during training that they were named like the two guys were yeah. literally had last names of Smart and Final, and like. That blew my mind. This when came I, when, up on one of my family Zoom calls. Is like they're like, man, that must have been like some cool phrase in the '30s. And I looked, it up, <laughs> you know, just people's last name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah. So anyway, the Cactus League um, sent a letter. The news came out Monday, I guess. It, they sent a letter to Major League Baseball, and just a you know pretty like showy toothless letter pretty much like it was signed by all the like mayors and city managers of all the cities that are like involved uh affected by the cactus league there's 10 parks 15 teams that play spring training there they're asking for a delay at the start of spring training their quote you know it's a it's one page letter it's it's small we believe it is wise to delay the start of spring training to allow for covid-19 for the covid-19 situation to improve here now uh as of monday uh i didn't look it up this morning we're recording wednesday um arizona has the most cases per 1000 of any state in in the united states um and that's using a seven day uh average rolling average so also um in the letter the cactus league cites a university of washington study which projected a decline in infections in Maricopa County. That that's the county that has all those all the Cactus League cities uh, from an estimated 9,700 9, cases on February fifteenth to about three thousand on March fifteenth. So it already has like, look, we're doing things and we think it's going to get better. Let's wait till it gets better, um, but we'd like to delay it now. So why that's kind of BS. From from the start, uh, a uh, the, uh, in Glendale, the Arizona Coyotes uh, play there in the NHL. 
and the San Jose uh, Sharks are also going to play their home games there. They just haven't played any home games yet. Uh, they start in a, this weekend, actually, doing that. But um, they've—it's about two exits north of Camelback Ranch uh, in Arizona. Um, now they played five home games and have had fans at every game. So where's the concern? Where's the letter to the NHL? Um, they've averaged twenty three hundred seventy fans in the five games, maximum twenty seven twelve, minimum eighteen oh eight. So, like, it seems this was a showy thing. So there's already like a red flag, like. This letter is kind of BS, right? Plus, the Cactus League has no actual authority. They're just literally asking. It's something that has to be like bargained between the players and the owners. And um, they said that as much in the letter. We understand, quote, we understand that any decision to delay spring training cannot be unilaterally made by MLB. MLBPA sort of sniffing this out, like recognize that as well. And then they added the kicker, which was what as my read is they're calling MLB's bluff. Um, while we of course share the goals of a safe spring training and regular season, regular season, MLB has repeatedly assured us that it has instructed its teams to be prepared for an on-time start to spring training and the regular season. And we continue to devote all of our efforts to making sure that that takes place as safely as possible. So they're basically saying like, look, we're ready to go. Let's do it. Um, reason i think like that's calling mlb's bluff because uh later um i guess tuesday this came out alex coffee at the athletic reported for multiple sources that mlb encouraged the cactus league to write a letter to mlb um (laughs) how convenient um they need a third party so this is a relevant uh quote from the article um Basically, the position that the league stated on the call, uh, this was a January 13th Zoom call between like MLB and Cactus League officials, um, was that they were open to de- delaying and that the players were not, one source said, and the doc- that a document like the letter may help push negotiations along and allow what you guys would like, which is a 30-day delay. So like, they're basically like trying to grease the skids here. And let's see if you could guess why. It's because the owners do not want to pay uh, for a full season of games when there's not going to be like full stadiums for all 162. And of course, like that's that's sort of where we're at. We're we're always going to be at for a while. Um, Ken Rosenthal on Monday before the letter came out had a conveniently titled article that starting spring training in three weeks uh, makes little sense, which, you know, I don't want to like, I, I'm not saying that necessarily Ken Rosenthal is an MLB mouthpiece. There are certain national reporters who definitely are, uh, but that's like, it's a, it's, it's very MLB convenient to have this like article out. Now he makes some good points. Like if you just step back, like from, you know, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to be really playing right now, but like, you know, We've seen these other. They're just going to keep pushing through and doing it. Like um, NBA's playing, the NFL continuing on. I just think like I, I don't. I don't know. It just they're going to like keep pushing through. So and and like the players want to play. So I, I think it's disingenuous for MLB to claim like, well, it's for the health and safety because I don't think that's true at all from their standpoint. But 
Um, within the article, Rosenthal reported some things. One, that MLB um, asked the players in December to delay the start of the season, and the players said, nope, we want to get paid for 162 unless you're willing to do that. We're not willing to alter things. So that's sort of spurred on this thing, and they haven't really negotiated a lot since. Now that leads to the the situation we're in now where everyone sort of assumes they're going to add the universal DH for this year, uh, the last year of this current CBA, but like it's not decided yet. Like it technically it's just not there for the national league right now, but like, there's still like Nelson Cruz and um, Marcelo Zuna are like, haven't signed yet. And there's, you know, it's kind of ridiculous that I, I think certain couple MLB teams, NL teams would be like, more advantageous to have the DH and might it might clear some things up and it might affect their moves but like nope like this is we're not we're going to stubborn our way through this and not decide it till the last possible note but another thing so in the Rosenthal piece MLB offered the universal DH which both sides actually want mm-hmm. but like MLB like you know thinks it's it's uh, more advantageous to the players which is true um but they they basically offered it. They said, "Look, we'll give you the universal DH if you accept um, expanded postseason." But like those are two wildly different things in terms of extra revenue. Like the, the owners gener- uh, benefit a lot more by having expanded playoffs than the players would by having a universal DH. There's only 15 National League teams. Certain teams don't have full time DHs. There's only like like I said, it's really like. Uh, Marcelo Zuna and uh, uh, Nelson Cruz right now, like, you know, and a few other players who are already on teams that are like full-time DHs, but like they're mostly just extra positions for guys. So I like, I don't buy that part of it, but like the other thing is that um, MLB uh, in, in its offer, one of its offers to the players offered an 80 million uh, postseason guarantee Uh Last year they they had 50 million with with like no to limited fans. The in 2019 when there were fans because the players portion of postseason revenue is based on gate receipts. So if there's no fans or limited fans, you can see why that goes down. So um, MLB offered the 80 million and but it came with uh, a pitch clock and an automated strike zone in spring training and the union said no again. So essentially what this all comes down to is figuring out like the how to split the extra postseason money like if they expand it because you're going to have the espn i'm will have i'm sure will swoop in again and provide extra revenue and they have to figure out a way to like uh fairly split that i think that's what the real argument is there's a lot of there's going to be a lot of like um there already has been uh people going well why can't they just why can't both sides just get this done or you know but the thing is mlb actually has to offer something to the players like right now there's a cba so they're the players stance is essentially we're perfectly fine with going into the final season the cba playing as is the 162 game season no dh in the national league whatever if you if you put all this other stuff we have to you know it has to be like a fairly fairly compensated agreement for us to agree to this other stuff so until like mlb like is willing to like pay properly for 
uh, or split the revenue properly for the extra postseason. I think there's going to be a stalemate on that regard. But any attempts to like sort of delay spring training right now are sort of half-hearted at best, and they're they're trying to curry like public favor. Um, so I but don't know. Sh- it's just, it's, 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 it's such a weird position, and I saw some some discussion about this where the players are in a weird spot where it's very obvious that as it often is, it's about money with the owners and it's not really about safety, but at the same time, the the players union needs to not become the anti-safety side of this because yeah, the, the, the spring training probably should be delayed. Like, right. <laughs> you know, we you know who knows where we'll be with the month and vaccinations going on and all of that, but probably not going to be in a good spot. And they, but the NHL shouldn't be going on. All of this, you know, probably shouldn't be happening. Um, so how you square that, you know, it, it should be that delay things, but also make sure that um, both players and other club employees, both at uh, the Cactus League and the Major League and the Grapefruit League, are are paid. You know, yeah. <laughs> pay the people who need the money. Um, you could argue the the players don't, but at the same time, you know, uh, labor negotiations like that always trickle down. So it's a sticky spot. I'm curious to see where we'll be. Geez, I'm, I'm literally a month from now. Well, that's that's the other thing that's sort of weird, right? So, like, essentially, like, pitchers and catchers are going to be reporting, like, the third week of February. There's only been a handful of teams at most that have actually announced the dates. Like, it's still, like, sort of, uh, like, we can't say yet, you know? Like, so, like, it's just weird. They, there's a schedule in place. Like, the games start February 27th. Uh, so you have some idea, but it's just, it is, it's just this weird, like, like limbo waiting. Plus there's like, um, there's still like a lot of actual like free agents out there. Now there has been movement the last like week or so, uh, of, of a lot of those, but like, it's, it is, it is crazy how lit, how little is resolved. So relatively close to like, um, spring training right now. It's, it's just such a bizarre time. Again, uh, with this episode, we have bad news in baseball seems like we've had way too many of these deaths uh in a row where um henry hank aaron uh died the past week yeah like uh like how many of these in a row where our our podcast is about um you know remembering a baseball legend and uh, you know obviously henry aaron didn't play for the dodgers but he was he's like baseball royalty i don't you know I, i was trying to think you know i don't I don't know if you everyone go. Oh, who's on your Mount Rushmore or whatever? He he's he almost has to be on baseball's Mount Rushmore. Like if you if you're if you want to reduce Major League Baseball like four players or whatever or yeah. four people, he's there and like he's he's so good. Like his you know his numbers are ridiculous. Like it's not you know I you know a lot of people oh he's the real home run king. But even if if he if he just think of like Hank Aaron as the home run king. Like he's so much better that he was excellent uh, defender, like just a good hitter. Like uh, the, one of the better stats I saw was, you know, that got passed around a lot. You know, if you take away his 755 home runs, he still has over 3000 hits, like, <laughs> which is just dumb. Like uh, he's, he's the all time, like total base leader by like a lot. Um, and like, just, just a, it just yeah, he's a combination greatness. where, like, you, 
you have sort of you have the Don Suttons of the world to use, uh, who we talked about last week, yeah. were sort of probably falsely uh, accused of, of of accumulation, but in and of itself is just a, a consistent long term dependability, which is worthy of Hall of Fame, and we talked about that last week. Yeah, Aaron had that, but also was just excellent every single single year. Not just very very good for a very long time was excellent for a very so, very long time there's a couple things here like so imagine yeah you're right about like imagine like don sutton's longevity right but but also you're an mvp every year yeah like, <laughs> like basically and, and like uh so you know the small thing is like nobody knew what ops plus was back then but he had a 140 ops plus at, at minimum i think actually 141 was his lowest for 19 straight years like <laughs> and, and like most of those years he was obviously well above that um uh jay jaffe i think noted uh if you take out his rookie season and then the last two years where he was basically on the the dh tour in milwaukee with the brewers where he was you know not not as good uh for for a 20-year period from 1955 to 1974 I forgot the the home runs and stuff, but he, he averaged seven WAR. Like that's <laughs> that's literally like an MVP season for twenty straight years. Like there, there was another one I forgot who who tweeted this out. Tweeted this out. Maybe it was Craig Edwards of Fangraphs, but he split. Uh, I believe the the Braves years up. So the twenty one years he was with the Braves. And it was like the first seven years were something ridiculous. Then the next seven were like the same, you know, and then <laughs> the next seven were like the same. It's, it's like, come on, like, how do you, how do you do that? But, but then obviously the, the, beyond the numbers, like he, you know, he tracked down uh, Babe Ruth. He, he passed him in home runs and had to do so like enduring just a shitstorm of just vile, uh, hatred and racism and death threats and, and like everything. And, and, and you hate to see like, obviously it's, it's right to like praise his grace that he, his and... yeah, grace is a good, good way to put it. But like, you know, people are also like, um, they're like, very I think quick to like, yeah, I think a, the phrasing a lot of time is that is not the, the his, his patience and his grace uh, because you know he didn't resort, you know was was able was able to endure it, and the fact that he was able to do so as if he what didn't get angry or that he um, I think and uh, Jeff Passan tweeted and then later deleted tweets that he ignored hatred. Of course he didn't. Like how could you? No. Um, and right. you have a couple of quotes that I think really go into that. Yeah, like and he was you know like changed by this, and then imagine this like. Like I get angry and angry. Like as a kid, I didn't think much of it because I didn't know. But like when you see those two idiots like running onto the field as he's rounding third yeah. or getting to third base, and you're okay. That's that's sort of a fun thing if you're a kid or whatever. But then you're like, put that in the context of like he was like told like he was going to get shot on the field basically, and like there were people like uh, monitoring this and like to have to be that like um threatened by that like to for him to have to go through that and like um, amazing like that he like he didn't punch those dudes out basically yeah. <laughs> like and then there are uh, i guess and, I, there's and a honestly, story too even, where even giving them you know what was ultimately their altruistic or, or grateful intent 
yeah. how dare you make that moment about you? Right. Like... <laughs> exactly. You, he was robbed of so many things. Like he, like, well, well, one, just being able to enjoy it. Right. Like, so exactly. Howard Bryant has a biography. I have not read Howard Bryant's biography of Henry Aaron. Uh, I, w- I will eventually, but he wrote a couple pieces on ESPN last week, but this was a quote from Henry Aaron from Howard Bryant. Uh, it was supposed to be the greatest triumph of my life, but I was never allowed to enjoy it. I couldn't wait for it to be over, he once said. The w- only reason that some people didn't want me to succeed was because I was a black man. He was talking there about the home run record. Uh, in the New York Times obit, they excerpted uh, a piece from William Roden in 19... Uh, I forgot when he wrote it, but I'll just read this. Um, April 8th, 1974, really uh, let, led up to turning me off of on baseball. That's Henry Aaron saying that. It really made me see for the first time a clear picture of what this country is about. My kids had to live like they were in prison because of kidnap threats, and I had to live like a pig in a slaughter camp. I had to duck. I had to go out the back door of ballparks. I had to have a police escort with me all the time. I was getting threatening letters every single day. All of these things put a bad taste in my mouth, and it won't go away. It carved a piece of my heart away. Like, that's heartbreaking, man. Like, that's... Like he, nobody should obviously should have to go through that, and uh, let alone like he should have been like celebrated. There was another thing. Um, uh, Bomani Jones was talking about this the other day. I have not. There's a, uh, a documentary on Netflix called The Black Godfather, and uh, it was about I forgot the person's name, but he basically like Hank Aaron while he was like chasing baby had no like national endorsements until like meeting up with this guy and like he I think he got like Coca-Cola to like uh, sponsor him. Then he got like more endorsements out of this. So like, you know, he should have been, he was famous, but like he should have been more famous. Like Clarence for, Hunter, no, okay, nice. So yeah, I'm going to look, look into that. Those are well reads, but uh, back to the numbers for a second. Uh, Aaron hit 95 home runs off the Dodgers. I believe uh, the Reds were the team that he hit more against 97, but no, no other team he, he hit more against. Uh, his 17 home runs off Don Drysdale was the most of any pitcher. He also faced Don Drysdale 249 times, uh, <laughs> 52 more plate appearances than he had against any other pitcher. So they just their careers very nicely overlapped, really. Um, now he also hit 362, 431, 647 <laughs> against Koufax. And uh, there's a there was a clip floating around last week from the Sports Century on Henry Aaron where both Bob Gibson and Sandy Koufax were, like, um, telling how, like, insane it was to face Henry Aaron. And Koufax said, I I never figured out what he was going to (laughs) do. So I have trivia for you now. Um, So um, Aaron had 17 home runs off Drysdale, seven off of Koufax. There were four other pitchers that Aaron hit 10 or more homers against. Uh, Two of those were Dodgers. Can you name them? I will try after this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Name the two Dodger pitchers other than uh, Drysdale, who uh, Aaron hit 10 or more. Just 10? 10 or more? 10 or more yeah, 10 home or runs more. off. Uh, 
So my first guess, cons- I noticed conspicuously you did not mention this moment slash picture. So I'm thinking maybe uh, Al Downing. No, uh, okay. and actually, so he gave up the the he not only gave up the 715th home run, he also gave up uh, Henry Aaron's 3500th hit, which was at Dodger Stadium. Um, Al Downing, I'm looking here, he gave up three home runs to okay. Henry Aaron, 31 plate appearances. So okay, um, yeah. uh-oh. I'm re- <laughs> uh oh, uh, Don Sutton. No, um, two, yeah, uh, oh, not enough overlap. I figured, but I'm. He, he gave up there three. was a re- sudden actually did well against him 95 plate appearances he only I, someone gave up three home someone runs. tweeted a list of um oh, hall of, of famers hall of famers and, and like aaron just crushed them. everyone yeah. but sutton's numbers were you know oh that's almost almost normal and there yeah. was like a good anecdote where I, they went fishing after a game <laughs> i didn't look too uh, much the, into it but. after one of the seasons i think yeah, yeah that makes sense um John Weisman has that in his in his brothers in arms book uh, 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 Claude Osteen. <laughs> Go back See, to the well last week. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's a you're, you're, you're right to do that. He is actually second with okay. 14 home runs okay. uh, allowed, 150 <laughs> plate appearances. Uh, I'm gonna tap out after that. No, that you're right. That, that, that's a good tap out. So, <laughs> the other, the non Dodgers in the, the double digit home run club are Bob Friend with 12 and Don Cardwell with 10. Like, I would not have expected <laughs> me to get those, let alone you. Uh, but Roger Craig is the other okay. one. 10, 10 home runs and 102 plate appearances. So now a lot of that was not uh, when he was with the Dodgers, but uh, Craig was a Dodger. So. All right. Now it's time for a Dodgers Rewind. We actually have one this week. I, I remembered to do one. Um, so Charlie Huff, uh, I was joking with you that I was going to have one of the two um, – Claude Osteen or Roger Craig be the Dodgers rewind just to go just to tie in the trivia to um, that. But I decided not to, I was looking at Hank Aaron. I was wanted to see if there was like guys he had a ridiculous like OPS against or something. Um, and I came across um, Charlie Huff, not, not like it's not that bad. It's so Aaron's OPS against Huff is 2278. Uh, it's, <laughs> It's nine plate appearances, but Aaron reached base seven of the nine times he faced him. Um, 1970 and then 1973, 1974, two for four, home run and double. So Huff never gave up a single to Henry Aaron. Uh, and four walks and a hit by pitch. So he was a busy man uh, at the plate against Henry Aaron. Weirdly, um, four of the nine plate appearances came in extra innings, three different games. Uh, and like Huff, as as a Dodger um, was almost exclusively a reliever till like 1979, he, he started 14 games. He still relieved a lot that year, but like uh, I don't know, it was just weird. Huff was they Dodgers had everyone talks about like the 1968 draft, but they like added talent like in the first several years of the draft. He was an eighth round pick in 1966 um, at a high school. He was part of the. I think we talked about this previously on a couple episodes. The 1970 Spokane team that was managed by Tommy Lasorda, Baseball America named it like the best team, best minor league team, like the second half of the for, 20th century. For my yeah. money, no minor league team can be the best if it didn't have Jigger stats on it. 
Oh, okay. True. That's true. <laughs> I'll write a letter. <laughs> yeah, we need to uh, get the cactus league to write a letter about you. Get that. <laughs> and we, we, we can do that. Um, get a get a cactus get a cactus league to write a letter to us, reminding us to redo the major league uh, draft again, like we did. Uh, <laughs> let's say if if they delay the season, we'll have to bring we have to have filler, so we'll have to do the major league draft again. Anyway. Yep. Um, Huff learned. I I didn't realize this. I uh, he learned the knuckleball in the minors. Like I guess I had just assumed that um, he was like knuckleballer in high school. Although that would have been funky too. Like who's who's a knuckleballer in high school? That'd be great. Well, uh, I'm looking at this. Uh, oh yeah. So I pulled out a couple of his baseball cards. Uh, 1975 tops uh, on the bottom. A knuckleball specialist, Charlie first toyed with the pitch in the Arizona Instructional League in 1969. Um, he's become outstanding member of L.A. bullpen with his new pitch. So the first three years of his career, like he pitched sparingly, 70, 71, 72. What he only pitched like tw- uh, 12 games. So very, very limited. But then after that, he averaged like over a hundred innings a season for the Dodgers. And it was almost all in relief. He saved 18 games in uh, 76, 22 and 77. He ended up with 60 saves with the Dodgers. Um, he allowed in the postseason. Uh, he had a 482 ERA in eight games. It's all in relief. He did have a, like, he struck out 20 and walked only three in 18 and two thirds innings. Now, uh, the th- one that he's most remembered for, I think, or postseason-wise, he gave up the third of Reggie Jackson's three home runs in Game Six in 1977, and that one's the one that was the absolute bomb to center field. That's like halfway up the the black tarp uh, mm-hmm. out there. That just just an absolute monster shot. Um, but so it's funny, like with with the Dodgers, um, Charlie Huff. Um, relieved 385 games he started 16 games 14 of those came in 1979 zero complete games with the dodgers now uh in 1980 he was sold to texas and no no player came in and it was just a a cash deal middle of the season then he was in relief mostly for them and uh that year then in 81 and then sort of um joined the rotation in 82 and then he started 440 games. <laughs> he, he he wasn't like a full-time starter till age 34. And he still s- somehow started 400. He, it was, he almost, it's funny to look back like at some of his later baseball cards, like in the nineties where it's, it feels like the entire back of the card and you like, can't read it, but um, it's like two careers. Basically it's like reliever for a decade and then starter for like a decade plus. So I looked this up from 82 to 94. Uh, Huff's last season was 94. 82 to 94, the seasons he was a starter, he started 417 games. That was second in the majors in that time. Only Jack Morris had more. He had 426. And he, he completed 107 games after leaving the Dodgers. So uh, what a what a different time. Now, he also uh, went to the Marlins. Now, Huff went to high school. He was born in Hawaii, but went to high school in Florida. And he, he uh, joined the Marlins, uh, their inaugural team. He started, he was with them for two years. And then he started the first game in Marlins history against the Dodgers. Um, later became, uh, he was the Dodgers pitching coach in 98, 99. And he was a longtime like minor league coach, uh, either at certain levels or 
was a roving instructor. Um, uh, but yeah, so like he's, you know, pretty well connected to the Dodgers in many ways. My trivia, my Charlie have trivia for you. Yep. Uh, April 5th, 1993, opening day in Miami, Joe Robbie Stadium. Who started that game on the mound for the Dodgers? Um, so I was thinking about the 93, maybe the other than like the, of the LA years, the biggest yeah. gap for me because it's well enough after the 88 season where, oh, I know the 88 names. And then I brought it up for Ken Griffey Jr. Baseball 64 is my. <laughs> introduction and that was the 97 or 98 team i think uh, uh 97 i think so i knowledge 97 on i can name a lot of players the 88 players i can name but if you shoot the gap enough i'm lacking so i have a couple of guesses okay um, but if after that it doesn't work uh, ramon martinez uh no cat oral hersheiser that is correct. Okay. Um, <laughs> it, it, I was specifically mentioning, like, I don't know who of the 88, Do like, when they moved on from the Dodgers. <laughs> Somewhere yeah. between 88 and, uh, and 97. But uh, so there we go. So, so yeah, 90, 92 was the team where um, they brought on Eric Davis in addition to already having Daryl Strawberry. And it made me get the triple threat poster, which with... Brett Butler, uh, Sterile Strawberry, and Eric Davis that I had on my wall, and that those that team was terrible, and Eric Davis was hurt all the time, and Daryl Strawberry was going through what he was going through, and uh, it did not work out. The '92 team lost 99 games, but the '93 was uh, Caro's second year, Piazza's first year, so yeah. like they started, they were starting to get good, and then like you know, uh, Hershiser have been like moved on within a couple years, but like. Um, yeah, I, I'm trying to look. I was looking up the, the when Ramon started. He probably started game two. He did. I, I, uh, I'm on uh, it now. Oh, oh, okay, nice. Okay. <laughs> Do you know who yeah. started game three? I oh, I I brought it up. Yeah. So that so Kevin Gross, uh, <laughs> was my my cousin and I used to do an impression of him. That's not going to come through on the podcast, but um, he would always like be fidgeting with his jersey, and he'd do the shoulder thing to like straighten it out. Like it just. I don't know. It, it's 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 extremely funny to me, um, but yeah. And then that that was like, um, you know, pre obviously pre Nomo, pre Chanho Park. So yep, it wasn't exactly the, the United Nations rotation as they called it. But like, uh, you had oh man, Pedro Estacio and Tom Candiotti in there too. Like that that was a that that was just like a just generally like a fun time. Obviously they they ultimately didn't win, but like it just like. Uh, I, I sort of look back on that relatively fondly for a lot of the, the players. All right. Uh, I think it's it's time we get a return. Are you ready? I remembered to remind our, uh, a certain friend uh, that uh, he needed the same questions this time. So, yay. All right. It's time for... Questions from Craig. Five questions, including some trivia for you. <laughs> I was looking at this. It's like nine questions from Craig. The way he, <laughs> but hey, whatever, it's fine. Uh, the 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 late Henry Aaron had fifteen three hundred or more total base seasons, which is the most in baseball history. Mike Trout leads the Angels with six three hundred more total base seasons. Can Eric name the Dodger franchise leader who is tied with Trout with six three hundred uh, or more total base seasons? So I was thinking about this. Um, in my head, my first inclination was to say Steve Garvey, which is not my guess. But my, my thinking was, 
because he basically averaged 200 hits for a, a good period. But then even with 200 hits, you have if you don't have 30 home runs, um, that's a tough sell. Like like if you have 200 hits, 30 doubles, and 20 home runs, that's only uh, 290 total bases. So I I I went away from Garby, and then I was thinking it's probably Duke Snyder because he had the the five straight years of 40 home runs. So I, my guess is going to be Duke Snyder here. Duke Snyder is second on all time with five. Oh, okay. Um, so, so Gil Hodges. Gil Hodges is not on the top six list that Craig sent over. Poop. Um, okay. Wow, this is this is harder than I anticipated. Um, you have uh, three players from the twenties. A uh, player yeah, from the 90s, a uh, pl- Duke uh, in the 50s, and then uh, Steve Gar-R-V, <laughs> 74 to 80 with six. Should have oh, so stuck off your he, guns. He did have six. Okay. All right. Fine. You want to try to so name I, the... It, Craig didn't ask you to, but you want to try to name the others? That, Zach, give, Zach Wheat. There then. you go. <laughs> Good old yeah. trivia uh, gut, uh, yeah. pipe wrench. Always gets in there. Zach Wheat. Um, from the nineties, so it would have. I Just guess it guess. has to be Caros, right? Mm, I think no. Nope. Oh, oh, because I was thinking it had to be like six. So no, 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 no. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Do you want to take a stab at the twenties players? You should... Johnny, Johnny Frederick. Nope. I'm gonna give you one more guess. Um, in the twenties. Uh, no, excuse I... me. One player is it's twenties and thirties. Oh, in that no, it's kidding. Yeah, um, <laughs> no, um, yeah, I, I'm I'm drawing a blank. Uh, Jack Fournay, twenty three to twenty five, and Babe Herman. Yeah, Babe Herman. Okay. I thought maybe you could have gotten. Yeah, yeah, that's that's good. All right, the All next right. question, uh, part two of that is: uh, seven Dodgers have had at least one three hundred total base season or more uh, since two thousand. Uh, uh, can you okay. name them? So okay. there's seven. So, you got ten shots. Okay. Oh well, all right. So three three uh, strikes and you're out. If you heard of that, right. um, and baseball. I, well, well, technically I have four strikes, right? I uh, I guess that's right. Yeah, <laughs> the old anyway, four strike um, rule. There you go. Uh, um, so, um, none of Adrian these are tricky. Be- I'll give you that. Hint. Adrian Beltre, Matt Camp, uh, Sean you, Green, Dean Dean. Uh, Sean Green is one of the two players on this list with two. Yes. Okay. Um, Gary Sheffield, uh, the other player with two. Um, okay. Then Cody Bellinger. Yep. So you have two left. Uh, okay. Um, trying to think here. Uh, <laughs> I won't say Mookie Betts cause they only played 60 games. Um, <laughs> so, um, but let's maybe. see. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 26, 40, um, let me think here. One eighteen. I don't. Corey Seager. Corey Seager is two thousand sixteen. Yep. Um. Okay. And then, oh, who was? Who would have been the other? Uh, I'll give you thinking... the season if you want it. Uh, no, not that yet. That might make um, it harder. <laughs> um. Man, this is this is tougher than I expected. Um. Do, do, do. Uh, Adrian Gonzalez? 
Nope. Okay. Strike one. Uh, give me the season. 2009. Eighth year? There you go. Yeah. All right. I, I, w- I almost was going to guess him before Gonzalez, and then I decided not to, so All right. I failed. Good yeah. job. You, yep. did, you did great, even though you gave up on Steve Garvey. I did give up on Steve Garvey. I apologize. Question number B. <laughs> Regular listener to Larry King's radio show for many years, and I enjoyed his style, even though he was not a prepared interviewer. Did you two ever have a regular radio show you listened to? Bonus question: How about those top twenty, top twenty, top forty shows like Casey Kasem or Rick Dees? Um. So there was a time in this. So like the last couple years of high school, um, mm-hmm. I would I would go to sleep listening to like talk radio. And for the most part, it was a there was a there was a show called Sports Byline USA. I believe Ron Barr was the host, and like it was fine, like n- nothing special. But I think on that same the same like local radio station, uh, different times of the night, they would have the Larry King show too. And I did listen to that, and um, I like I. <laughs> For some reason, like I was always infatuated when he would mention uh, there was a restaurant in DC called Duke Zebert's, and like I guess it, it was a pretty famous restaurant for years where like all the all the famous people and like important politicians and stuff would always go there. It's like a deli, basically. But Larry King would like have a booth there or whatever and like just hang out. He always talked about Duke Zebert's, and it got to the point where like, my, my my friend and I, my friend Tom in high school, we would like always make jokes about. Um, how often Larry King mentioned Duke Siebert's like we had to be the only high school people talking about this but (laughs) and and I didn't even listen to it that much it was just like it was crazy how much he he talked about Duke Siebert's um but yeah other than that uh in in college uh I listened to Jim Rome a lot um and then I grew up Uh, (laughs) I'm sorry (laughs) yeah and then uh uh, there was a, a morning radio show that when I I lived in San Diego for about 14 years and a uh, morning radio show down there called Dave Shelley and Chainsaw that I listened to a lot. Uh, and like that, other than that, like, I don't know if there's any like regular like radio shows I listen to. So I didn't, I didn't listen to shows really. I listened to a lot of Kareth when I was uh, nice. in elementary school and in, in high school, a lot of, a lot of oldies, you know, the real Don Steele and, Shotgun Tom Kelly. I'm looking up the oh, Wikipedia. Man. It's not an oldie station anymore. Why did no one tell me this? I move away it, and it stopped being oldies. Now now it's um yeah, it's it's my it's between that and Jack FM when I'm in the car is basically they just because it's mostly eighties and nineties and Ugh. some seventies. Um Ugh. uh I but that's oldies now. No. I, I mean <laughs> no, I get that, I know, but I know, leave, I know, also I know, I know. I, where can I go to listen to some sixties music? That's what I want to know. Um so about the top 40, uh, I did listen to the Casey Kasem one. Rick D's, I think the the local stations I had, I know I knew of Rick D's, but I don't remember listening to his top 40. And I don't know if it was because I, it was on a different station that I listened to. But like it was a normal thing to listen to Casey Kasem. And like I enjoyed that. I wasn't like glued to it like, oh, man, what's the number one this week? I have to find yeah. out. Uh, but it was... Mm-hmm. But that was a time where you would like try to, if they played a song on the radio, you'd try to record it on a cassette, and like <laughs> that would be how you 
so so like it, it's you know it, so it's yeah yeah. Uh, um, I, I should give honorable mention to. I did not listen to a ton, but my mother did the Mark and Brian show. Uh, uh, so, yeah. And mm-hmm. you know, because I was in the car with her a lot, I did uh, listen to my fair share of the Mark and Brian show. I I, I guess uh, there was a time when I had a crazy commute from like uh, Orange County to San Diego for about nine months, um, and I did listen to Kevin and Bean for a while. Uh, but it was rare. Like it wasn't like all the time. All right. Question C. You see below two stat lines. Our, our listeners can't, but we can. You can have yep. one on your major league baseball team in 2021. Eric, tell me why you choose Francisco Lindor. And Jacob, you tell us why you're taking Corey Seager. This is rude. Um, but yeah. So, I mean, look, the, you take Lindor because he's healthier. Um, in or has been yep. healthier. Um, we looking at this, he's played what 236 more games than Seeger has in the same time. Um, now I, I would say Lindor is a better defender, uh, pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Um, so I that's that's his argument. Like now, Seeger has the better career offensive numbers. Like Lindor's been better offensively um, recently, and obviously until 2020. Um, so you can't like discount that. But like, um, I, I was actually surprised the advantage that Seeger has in career offensive numbers to date. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but like, I, you, I, that's why you would take Lindor, just the um, health and defense. Um, but yeah, that, that's that's my that's my argument half-hearted i'm looking they have nearly identical like war uh over like over played appearances and over 162 game season so um i think it it goes a little bit more like like you said like they're they're they're, they're some really sim- similar numbers there but i think the main difference is you're taking lindor like you said for um uh, speed as well uh faster player yeah. and better defensive player I think you're taking Seager, and basically they have really similar-ish um, sort of no, like slash lines and stuff like that. But that's yeah. including some hurt Corey Seager time, and and I think you're taking Seager if your expectation is that his seasons going forward look closer to his 2016 or his, to his 2020 than the years in between. So that that's why I think you're going to get may, maybe not. Especially if the season is is actually 162 games, maybe not exactly the same number as last year, but pretty darn close. And that, I think, you could expect to be better offensive production uh, than Lindor. Yep, that's fair. Also, he's a Dodger. I got yeah. I got to root for the Dodgers, right? <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. Like you, you don't disrupt the apple cart, right? Like the, <laughs> at this point, like they're both going to be right as technically right now. They're both free agents after t- 2021. I think pretty much the entire world expects the Mets to like Mookie Betts yeah. <laughs> Lindor and, and sign him long term. And you know, maybe the Dodgers will figure out something with Seeger, but uh yeah, so it's it's fun time, fun time. Good shortstops. Kike Hernandez has many memorable moments in his Dodger career. Please take this chance if you have not talked about recent uh to give uh your favorite Kike Hernandez. I'm not gonna list uh, we will be talking about uh uh, the ones uh, Craig brings up, but I, what, what was your, what's your first Kike memory? 
Um, I I don't well, know. Mine, if it's a, Craig does list yeah. mine. Okay, so I, I I was trying to think. I don't know if it's a specific memory. Like he was just um, like he was like just overall like like sort of a joy, like just yeah. in general, right? Like so, I I I have an irrational like uh, love of utility players and like he was you know but even to the point where like i thought like it was cool when they had like elian herrera and stuff uh but like geeky was like a a a utility player who was productive like too (laughs) like you know you know what i mean like it's he wasn't just like a an afterthought but he literally would play like everywhere like uh strong up the middle right like so he could could fill in it in center field shortstop second base and be good there defensively and also hit now at, uh, at his best absolutely punishing against uh, left-handed pitchers and then didn't do so well against righties but he was good enough defensively to like carry his bat even against righties uh even when he struggled you know to a point um and so i don't know i just like the overall versatility uh, of him uh, rather than like a singular moment but also he was he was pretty hilarious like um also just like just generally like funny and like f- fun to be around uh we we were um talking about this uh, uh so he signed with the red sox i guess that deal hasn't been official yet but it's going to be like two years 14 million so uh looking back i believe uh we had um like neither of us got, got the team we split the difference n- right that that's right i i uh you said three years 30 million which you know, with the Rangers, I said one year eight million because I undershot everyone. Yeah, and you, you uh, were closer so, on the EAV though. So yeah, so win. he got yeah, so two years sixty million. They, he basically went in the middle like of ours, but uh, yeah, but good for Kiki got a got a good deal and and hopefully he's gonna uh, get more playing time out of it. I think that's gonna be the case probably with the Red Sox. He averaged um, uh, man, I had it the other day. It was something like ninety starts in like about 400 just over 400 plate appearances the last four years with the dodgers but man he was a dodger for six years like a a a big part of like all all those teams they all won the division he played in three world series he had big moments uh uh obviously Uh, the including like the one that's sort of underrated this year he tied game seven uh, against the braves with a home run craig mentioned yeah in the sixth and then bellinger's home run won it one inning later but yeah, like he he uh, he had some he had some amazing moments with the Dodgers. So so good for him. Um, so my, mine is the three home run game against the Cubs. Granted, yeah. it didn't lead eventually to a World Series victory, but it did lead to the pennant, uh, literally, and, uh, and just was such a special moment for, uh, uh, like you said, a player to up to that point had been the productive uh, lefty masher and the utility player and the sort of sort of silly funny. Um, uh, locker room guy uh so just no better player to have that kind of breakout game to send the dodgers to the world series for the first time in 19 years and it, it's 29 years, years. yeah, yeah it's hard to understand <laughs> like how important that was right like like they had not been to the world series since 88 at that point and I, they were so good in 2017 and like the fact that um um god what was it uh like, like they, that was a runaway game, right? But he, the the still 
the like euphoria of it. Yeah, Plus, he, it was, he it was, was almost single-handedly responsible for the runaway. Oh no, no, yeah, I'm not yeah. saying. It, yeah, <laughs> I'm just saying. And plus, like it was, they won that series four to one. Yeah. But just the culmination of that, like to have that huge of a game in that kind of a moment, like great for him, right? Like, um, so that that was Same really good. Season and all lost for a particular reason, but he also had like a monster double. Uh, at the end of game two in the world series. And I, I was at mm. that game. Uh, and I just remember how emotional and excited he was like, yeah, what a, what a special player and very just like what a, like sort of like came to the Dodgers in the first big Andrew Friedman move of, of sort of establishing what this, uh, the, the new ownership front office would do. Uh, and then leaves the Dodgers with world series reign. That's, that's pretty special. And you could see, like, uh, in the celebration, like how much it like meant to him, yep. uh, obviously. And like, so that that was really nice. There was another thing too. Uh, so uh, one of my favorite things from this last year, I forget it was one of the later season games, uh, late in the season games, where uh, he was having an interview with Alana Rizzo on Sports Center LA. Game? Yeah, and then and then the the, the drone was. <laughs> And Kike just starts going, I don't feel safe a lot. I don't feel safe. And, he, and just has everybody cracking up. But the reason I brought that up is because just like right before we started recording, yeah, Alana Rizzo so. said um, she is um, stepping away, not going to do Dodgers games for a while. Um, she's going to, she has a, a foundation, Gidry's Guardian, uh, named after her former dog uh, that she, she rescues uh, pets and like finds, uh, finds them homes. And just does really great work. She's going to focus on that for a while. So good for her. One of the absolute best at her job. It's it's a weird job. Like it's hard because, well, you know, you're for one, you're you're paid by the team, right? But you still have to like ask tough questions, and she does that. I think it's not all. It's not always like you know you would expect like maybe an employee of the team to ask like Homer questions, and she, you know she's very good at that job where I, I, I think there's a lot of people who aren't and, and she's excellent, very nice person. Um, very happy for her. Uh, it just sounded very like, um, doing something she wanted to do and like, and, and I'm happy she's been able to do it. Yeah. Just, um, I think it was shaken, uh, said like, you like, her role as like an employee of the team, but someone who also kind of has to like not necessarily lead the team accountable, but but ask honest questions as kind of usually getting the first question and uh, plus resources is a difficult role. I think few get it exactly right because because it's so difficult, and she just nailed it. Like really, yep. really unfortunate loss, um, but good for her. But good that she's you know sticking to her family and sticking to her what she wants to do. Craig brought this up um about kike too uh i guess i didn't realize this part of it obviously he he owned um uh, madison bumgarner for a, a good uh throughout his career he's hitting 500 off of him 26 for 52 with six doubles and four home runs but i didn't realize this until craig pointed out that he's hit 500 uh in five of the six seasons like that's crazy. Like, so 2017, he was two for six. Every other year, he's either it's 500, 500, 500, uh, 545, 556. So that's insane. Like, uh, just good for Kike. 
Final question. Oh boy, this could be an entire episode. If you yep. had to pick one quick fast food comfort meal, what would it be? For Craig, he'd take a Del Taco combo burrito, beef crispy taco and fries with a drink. Uh, he's not had one of those in probably over a year, but something about the saltiness spice from the sauce taste is something I always enjoy. What about us? Oh boy. Ooh, this could be like, talk about top 40. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Exactly. So, and I here think, for number 20. <laughs> thinking about Arby's. Del Taco, my, my, I think my go-to at Del Taco at Del Taco is, um, is the, the chicken soft taco meal. Mm, it's a good one. Uh, and, and I like that, that I remember it's been so long. Right. And, and like, but like, it's weird because uh, so when I worked at In and Out way back when in the in the nineties, they didn't have combo meals. They they've since added it, but there's no discount. Yeah. As like <laughs> like I said, they just realized that like people like ordering combo meals, so like you know we'll do it, and it's uh, the price is just everything added up together. <laughs> but like um, but that said, like In and Out, like you know a straight double double fries. And a drink is wonderful. Um, yeah, I now I, I went lend into this question, not allowing me to answer in and out one because I don't live near it, one anymore. But two, right. it's just not. It's like I understand that it is fast food, but it almost doesn't count. <laughs> like it's yeah. too good. Now, now we could be to be fair. Craig said, quick yeah, fast food. Quick. So <laughs> it's not quite and too good enough. Now, if you the, go the, when I frequently did at. 1250 right before they close it actually would end up being fairly quick but, uh, okay uh, there you otherwise go. yeah you're not it, you're not so, you're not getting in and out at, a, at some point growing up um the big mac meal was my go-to at mm. mcdonald's i am not as much of a big mac person anymore although occasionally for nostalgia i'll be like oh yeah i'll have a big mac but now like if i go to mcdonald's now like it's it's just hard like i don't know i just end up getting like a, I do, I guess quarter pounder meal is what I graduated into eventually. Uh, but now when I go, uh, I will get like a, a double cheeseburger or McDouble because those are like, like a dollar 29 for the sandwich, you know, and you could like order stuff around that where you're not really necessarily getting a combo meal, but those are the ones like the, the big Mac meal, I guess if I had to choose one at McDonald's all time, it's probably the quarter pounder meal. And then the chicken soft taco meal at Del Taco. Other than that, not not much. I, not not like a specific combo stands out. What, what about you? Um, whew, like I said, it's just yeah, so many delicious. Right. What mood am I in? Um, uh, quesadillas of of both the spicy chicken from Del Taco, but uh, and just uh -huh. a regular chicken one from um from Taco Bell uh, up there. Uh, prior, the, the my last fast food meal uh, before I stopped going places due to COVID was was Arby's, and the Arby's mm. sliders have been r ratcheting up the rankings. Uh, very the uh, roast beef jalapeno, very tasty. A little bit of Arby's sauce. It's good. To, it's mm -hmm. good stuff. Some some curly fries. Um, now and then, Jack in the Box would have like a special burger, uh, like either. Um, like a black peppercorn or a few others, and and they're those in that uh, curly fry, very high up there. Yeah, and just just a a bag of double cheeseburgers from Burger King, like especially yeah. especially since uh, since I moved, I don't have access to, to In and Out anymore. 
Also, and that could because Burger King fries are garbage, and, you, and there's no point in getting a combo meal. Yeah, but <laughs> you're, I I feel like I've I've had Burger King fries that were good, like right out of the fryer, but they get bad so quick that. But I also don't like yeah. McDonald's fries, and I know I people think I'm crazy for that. Yeah, so. you're. I we need to end <laughs> this right now. No, that's just terrible. No, anyway, uh, you, you reminded me Taco Bell. Uh, I did Ooh. my go to there was just the. The three taco uh, meal. Taco it Bell just... keeps doing this thing where they create a, an item, and it usually is chicken, some sort of spicy element, and sour cream and cheese. Mm-hmm. It was the the griller, I think, the the chipotle chicken griller, and then they take it away. <laughs> and <laughs> when it's there, it's like what I go to, and then they take it away from me, and I get very upset. People were mad that they they took away the potato taco, I think, um, recently because they they streamlined their menu. But then they brought it back because people were enough people were complaining. Um, I will I will say this and I'm sure Taco Taco Bell super fans know this already. But near the end of my fast food going life for now, I discovered uh, the app is really wonderful. You can like customize things to uh, an extreme degree. And sometimes there's a way to like. I was able to almost make my Chipotle chicken griller by like hacking a quesarito or something like that. <laughs> so I, I thought uh, for years, like my go-to at, at Taco Bell was the Taco Supreme meal mm. because I like tomatoes, but I got it without sour cream. Mm-hmm. But then like I realized, like I, I'm pretty sure this is the case that a Taco Supreme is the same size as a taco. They just add sour cream and tomatoes to it. Yeah. Where in my head, I thought it was a bigger taco, like for a long time, but I, I don't like sour cream. So I'd get it with no sour cream. So I was basically um, paying a little extra just for the dumb tomatoes, which are still good. But like, but you could yeah. get a taco and add tomato using the Taco yeah. Bell app and no, not exactly. be like an exactly. ass. Cause that's the problem is like, you'd want to yeah. do all this hacking stuff, but you don't want to be the guy that goes up. Can I get one of that, but sub this and add that, but take that away. The app just lets you do it. Yeah. So, there you go. Wow, this makes me hungry for a combo meal right now. Thanks gonna, a lot, Craig. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> not doing that. So, uh, yeah, maybe Justin Turner will sign between now and next week. We'll there's been there's it. been enough like signings the last couple of days. So there was this weird like I think we talked about this last week where the Dodgers were like sort of rumored in the Marcus Semyon uh, deal in a, in addition to Turner, like like that they were going to bring in Semyon as like a. Um, a utility guy or a second baseman. And like, he ended up signing with the blue Jays to play second base uh, for a year. So like, uh, and it was like one year, 18 million. And so I don't see the Dodgers. I don't think they would have gone that high for him on a, on a one-year deal or even a multi-year deal. So like, that was interesting, but like the blue Jays were in the, the, you know, Turner discussion, they signed uh, Springer, George Springer for six years, one fifty, And now Simeon. So you would think, they're probably out, but like uh, a bunch of infielders went off the board um, this week. So yeah, maybe, maybe Turner signs, maybe he doesn't, who knows? Maybe spring training will start on time. Maybe it won't. I don't know, but we're, we're going to probably have something to talk about next week and uh, we'll see you then. Thanks for listening, everybody.